Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Hello, and welcome to Authentic Living. This is Andrea Matthews, your host. You know, there's an an international resurgence of awareness of the divine as a feminine energy and influence, and today we're exploring the divine feminine with Rabbi Rami Shapiro, author of The Divine Feminine in Biblical Wisdom Literature. Rabbi Rami, as he is affectionately known, offers what he calls roadside assistance to us as we travel the paths of our lives, and in that vein, he has written several other books as well books related to the Jewish and Hasidic traditions, and books that utilize those traditions for anyone of any faith to enjoy and gain insight from, including The Sacred Art of Loving Kindness, The Hebrew Prophets, Open Secrets, and Minion, Ten Principles for Living a Life of Integrity. He also co-authored Let Us Break Bread Together with Michael Smith and has written several other books along with several e-books. He's a poet and essayist, and he is also a blogger on Spirituality and Health magazine. He's been one of the leaders in our awakening here in America as he, along with several others of other faiths, worked to help us all toward our own particular forms of enlightenment. He was one of the several interviewed by John Borsinko and Gordon DeVaron in their book, Your, Compass, Your Spiritual Compass, What is Spiritual Guidance? As his wisdom and ability to give us all a hand up along the way is evident to all who meet and are influenced by him. Rabbi Rami, welcome to Authentic Living. We're so glad to have you today. Well, thank you, Andrea. It's really delightful to be on the show. Well, we're real glad to have you. You have information we need, our listeners need, so let's get right to it. When you talk about the Divine Feminine, and I know that's not your latest book, but when you talk about that, what do you mean by the Divine Feminine? Well, I, I began having a series of, I don't know what I want to call them, spiritual encounters, mystical experiences, all those, all those labels make me a little nervous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in any case, I, I started having a series of encounters that I could only explain as encounters with the divine. And before I get to the feminine part, and by the divine, I mean God, certainly. And, and to me, God is reality itself. God is the universe, the, the, you, the universe that you and I can experience, the universe that science reveals to us, is to me the body of God. God is greater than that, but God absolutely includes that. There's no gap between matter and spirit. There's no gap between the creator and creation. So that's what I have in mind when I, when I use the word God. But the, account, the encounters with this were not some abstract feeling of unity, but a palpable presence I really felt as if, and it's awkward to talk about, but I really felt as if um, the universe were talking to me. And the, the, what I heard and the way it, it sounded to me was clearly I was talking to a woman. Now, I don't imagine God to be the shape of, of a woman but, or to be gendered you know, as, a, as a female, but still the 
quality of the experience, and this is all very vague and there's nothing I can do about that, I guess, mm-hmm. but the quality of the encounter left, it, left me with no doubt that I was dealing with a feminine energy. And when this started happening, it, it's just not my normal way of dealing with, with reality. My, my inclination has been for most of my life, I'm 50, almost, well, I'm 57 and a half. <laughs> you can still do that when you're that age. So I'm, I'm 57 years old, and since I was 16, I have had other experiences of the divine, but always in that abstract way, always in the sense of a cosmic consciousness or, you know, to sort of make it a little pop culture-esque, you know, the, the force of Star Wars, that kind of thing. Never gendered, never directed to me as a I to a thou, nothing that personal. And yet, all of a sudden, I was having these personal encounters with what was clearly a feminine energy, as you put it. And this was troubling. So uh, I went off to a number of teachers, and you know, we can talk about that if you like, to get some guidance about this. But when I use the term, uh, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, when I say the, the divine feminine, I'm talking about God as God manifests um, to me. And I experienced that as this feminine energy. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it was uh, confounding, I guess, because that that experience was brand new and very different. It was different. new to me. It, it went against my you know, psychological slash spiritual grain. Mm-hmm. And it's awkward from a rabbinic perspective because, you know, if, if I mean, Judaism, theologically, Judaism will say that God is not gendered. But Jewish texts, whether it's the Bible or the Talmud or you know, any of the, the mystical texts of Judaism, um, use gendered language. And while the Kabbalah begins to speak of God in mystical Judaism, speaks of God in both genders, I was really trained in a more mainstream frame where God, if you're going to use a gender at all, it's masculine. Mm-hmm. But what I discovered was, because I'm not, I'm not so interested in Kabbalah proper and the Jewish mystical tradition, it's very esoteric, and my experience is not esoteric. Um, what, what, I was, what I discovered was, was that even in the ancient biblical, uh, rabbinic material 2,000 years ago, when they would talk about the presence of God, they used the word Shekhinah, which is a feminine gendered noun in, in Hebrew. And when they heard the voice of God, they spoke of what's called a bat kol, B-A-T, second word, K-O-L. K-O-L means voice, and bat, like in bat mitzvah, means daughter. So they spoke of God's presence in the feminine, as the feminine, and then their, their auditory experience of that presence was a, the daughter's voice. And I found in that a corroboration of what I was experiencing. Because I, now, I want to be careful when I say this. I, too, heard the daughter's voice, whatever that means. I heard the voice of the mother, as I would put it. But I, I don't want to make it sound like God is talking to me uh, exclusively. Right. But rather, God talks to all of us in any number of ways, whatever seems to get through the fog of the ego. And in this case, at this point in my life, and it's been going on for, for years now, um, she speaks to me directly 
doesn't tell me what to do. It doesn't say, you know, it doesn't give me the lottery numbers, which is too bad. It doesn't <laughs> give me some assignment to go out and save the world. Uh, nothing grandiose. But when I'm open to it, and there's a method that I use to, to open myself to it, I just feel her presence and hear her wisdom uh, guiding me through whatever it is I'm, I'm bringing to her. So, so it's, it's very palpable, very real, very personal, uh, but I don't, I don't want to make it sound like it's special or unique because I, I don't think it's either of those things. Right, right. So it's really, you know, what you said is that, it, that God can appear to us, I guess that's the word I want to use, uh, in whatever form that our consciousness can experience. And at that particular time, your consciousness must have been experiencing the need for a feminine energy. Is that, do I understand that correctly or do I have that wrong? No, I think that's, that's fair. You know, it's like when God appears in a burning bush to Moses in, the, in Exodus. Um, God uses the bush only to get Moses' attention. There's no sense that God is a bush. Mm-hmm. But the bush becomes the focal point, the vehicle through which we almost could say icon using an Eastern, Christian, Eastern Orthodox Christian understanding of icon as a doorway to the divine, that Moses uses the bush as a vehicle for contacting God. I don't have a vehicle exactly, but whatever it is that's allowing that connection to happen, it just is overwhelmingly clear to me that it's a feminine energy. Mm-hmm. You're right. So I, I may have needed that in my life. Certainly, may, you know, I was too much on the, the masculine side and needed a balance, uh, yeah. which, is, which is why, just to throw this out and we can either explore it now or pick it up later, which is why I think that, that the mother is returning everywhere. Because I think the culture, especially Western culture, has become not just patriarchal, and, and this is nothing unique to my understanding, this is pretty generally accepted, but it's, it's not simply patriarchal, it's overwhelmingly masculine in its, in its energy and needs that feminine balance. And, by, and, and when I think that way, when I use those terms, masculine to me really means uh, the billiard ball sort of look. Uh, analogy of, of, of social function that we're all these billiard balls bouncing off one another, trying to get a, take advantage, uh, to get an advantage over one another. The pie is fixed. If I'm going to win, you're going to lose. That kind of uh, I against thou, uh, or, or what Martin Buber might call the I it way of being in the world, where you're simply a means to my end. Whereas the feminine is highly relational. There is no uh, I, it, in that sense, that even, even inanimate things, if there is such a thing as inanimate, um, even that becomes an I, thou, an intimate experience. I, I find myself sometimes in these uh, experiences of the divine caught up in, in, a, in an ecstasy that has me doing things that's next, not my normal, my normal personality. I'm really hugging trees, you know, and... and feeling the birds are talking to me, but not in a psychotic way. I don't want to say, this guy's nuts. <laughs> but, but somehow everything is just in relation to everything else, and, and certainly to me as well. And that's what I, I experienced, and that's what I would call the feminine, that everything is in relation, nothing is in isolation. Okay. And I, I don't think it's unique to what I'm saying. I think you can find a similar understanding in the Taoist uh, tradition of, of the dark mother and and a lot of other traditions as well. Right. And, and Sophia, as, energy, as uh, wisdom, is, is a part of that as well. And, 
in the Old Testament, as in the, where the Christians refer to it as the Old Testament, it uh, comes forth as a feminine energy as well. But that's not all. Yeah. It's, it's, it's much more than that, is what you're saying. Well, you know, I think if you look at, I mean, there's some parts of the Bible that are absolutely counter to the, the rest of the Bible. You know, yeah. some things that the Bible says that are so not in sync with everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at, at the book of Proverbs in chapter 8, you get this uh, story. And the story, we'll completely kind of finish that story in just a few minutes after the break. Uh, this is Authentic Living. I'm Andrea Matthews, your host, and we'll be back in just a moment. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. Are you ready to crash through illusion, break through your personal barriers, and slay the internal nemesis of your dark side? TNT is here to awaken your soul and unravel the hidden messages of your unconscious mind. Discover your hidden treasure map and use TNT to find the tools you need to become your own demolition tech. Collapse the old and choose the new. It's Dynamite Awareness with TNT. Tracy Irons and Tracy McMahon. Every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network and visit us at www.dynamiteawareness.com. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology. A-I-H-T. It was a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. Are you in need of a cosmic kick? Are you frustrated with your ability to move forward in all areas of your life and spiritual growth? Adrian Wentworth is a master at getting you unstuck. A fearless and grounded healer and teacher, Adrian covers subjects that few will touch and reveals the missing keys to your success. Be uplifted by the healing energies that flow through her as she shares her profound wisdom and helps you shift past your obstacles to create the life you long for. Listen to Cosmic Kick with Adrian Wentworth every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Seventh Wave Network. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. 
That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. This is Authentic Living. I'm Andrea Matthews. This show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. And today, we're talking to Rabbi Rami Shapiro. And we're talking about the Divine Feminine. And just before the break, you were talking a little bit about America and the, the, um, how we have come to this place of more than just patriarchy, but really totally masculine-dominated. And we were moving from there. Yeah, we, we are, the, the energy of, of America tends to be what I would call masculine. It tends to separate us. I mean, gosh, you can see it in the election. Mm-hmm. You know, to us and them, and to smaller and smaller niche groups, uh, until ultimately we get to what I think is the ideal in the, in, in, um, in the sense, the ideal of, of the American philosophy, which is the, the self-sufficient I, or what you might call the sovereign self. But it's a false self. There is no, there is no separation from the whole. There's only the whole, and the whole is, all, it, you know, all the parts are of a piece. And until we really recognize that, I think we're, we're doomed uh, to, a, to a life of needless suffering and conflict. And the coming of the divine feminine or the divine mother, however, you know, different traditions speak of her in different ways, but the coming of the divine mother, I think, is symbolic of a shift in human consciousness back to a more holistic sense. It doesn't mean that we, we give up the masculine in the sense of giving up the power of the individual or the, the uniqueness of the individual or the, and the preciousness of the individual, but we no longer see the individual in isolation, that we're part of, a, of an infinite network of life, and nobody functions on their own. As much as I love Ralph Waldo Emerson, the notion of self-reliance, if by self we mean the, the isolated individual ego, that's nonsense. Mm-hmm. The only self that we can rely on is the true self, if you like, or the self with a capital S, or the Atman of the Hindu tradition, which is equal to the divine. So, you know, it's the network we can rely on, but no, no one, one piece of it. So we, we were talking about Proverbs. I just wanted to go back right. to that for a second, if that's okay. Yes, please do. We, we find in Chapter 8 this incredible monologue by a woman, just out of the blue, and it's not just a character, as you might find Sarah or Rachel or Rebecca in, in you know, other texts in Genesis or something. This is a woman who claims to be the very first thing God created. You know, it, it, she reinvents, you might say, or, or tells a form of creation that's uh, hitherto not known in, in the Bible. And the first thing God creates is this woman. Now, she, her name is, as you said, Sophia, that's the Greek. In the original Hebrew, it's Chachma. And, but it's, they both mean the same thing. They both mean wisdom. Wisdom is the first thing God creates. And it's through her that all the rest of the world uh, comes into being. That the world is imbued with wisdom and this feminine energy. And her job as a, as a, or a figure that's manifesting this energy, as a symbol of the, the energy made, made manifest, so when I experience the Divine Mother as a being who's speaking to me, I realize that's simply a, um, I don't know what we call it, a, an archetypal vision or, a, or a, 
some kind of manifestation of the whole. It's not, it's not a separate thing. But in any, way, in any case, her, her role is to bring us to wisdom. And what you find there is a parallel, I would say, almost exact parallel to what you find in the Gospels, where John, in John's Gospel, he, you know, in the beginning was the Word. Well, I think he borrows this from Proverbs, chapter 8, where we find in the beginning was wisdom, and the word for John becomes logos, which is masculine, but in the Hebrew Bible it remains feminine. So where John sees wisdom uh, manifest as masculine and ultimately as Jesus, the, the earlier texts of the Bible see wisdom manifest as a woman. But they have similar roles in the sense that the uh, feminine character, her job is to wisdom. Her job is to Hello, you there? Well, I think we've lost uh, Rabbi Rami Shapiro. Uh, he was talking about the uh, Proverbs, and um, we were talking about the feminine as a voice of the divine and the, the, the way we manifest as the manifest world was um, coming about as a result of Sophia and the wisdom energy. And... Um, we are understanding that we will be able to talk to Rabbi Rami Shapiro again in a few minutes, but I'm going to fill in until the break, until he gets here. The Divine Feminine is, uh, as, as we've talked about it, not in contradiction to the Divine Masculine. It is an energy that is um, a balancing energy of the Divine. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're back. I'm back. I don't know what happened. I don't either, but I'm glad you're back. I, I, I was trying to fill in the blanks <laughs> there, but I'm not, I'm not Rabbi Rami You're doing Rabbi a great Rami job. Shapiro, I'm so. quiet. But the, the point I'm just trying to make, and then we can move on, is that, is that the woman in Proverbs parallels Jesus in the Gospel. Certainly she's not crucified. She doesn't die for our sins. There's no sense of that in the Hebrew Bible in, in any text. But... Um, her job, as, as Jesus portrays himself in the early parts of John, is to, is to bring us to this table fellowship, to bring us to this wedding feast. And she has apostles, as Jesus does. But where Jesus' apostles, the official ones anyway, are all men, in Proverbs, her apostles are all women. And she welcomes everyone to her table. The book transcends the tribalism that you find in so much of the Hebrew Bible. It's, it's a universal text, this chapter 8. I mean, all of Proverbs is, really, but certainly this chapter 8. And I think that whoever wrote it was experiencing something similar to what I'm experiencing. And when I read it, and I, you know, I've, I've read Proverbs, I don't know how many times in my life, but I never, it never clicked until I started having an, a palpable experience of what I think the book is talking about. So there's this, this divine feminine in the Bible uh, who really is calling us to a higher way of living, a way that, that as Jesus might have, have said when they asked him what the key commandments are, you know, to, to love God and to love your neighbor. And I think, and, and if we understand God as reality, to love nature, to love the world as we find it, to, to bring love to it and to heal it through love, and certainly part of that would be to love your neighbor, but also to recognize your neighbor isn't just your human neighbor, but, uh, you know, the entire web of life is, is our neighbor as we're, hopefully, right. it's more and more clear to us. 
Yeah, and it's not just that simple feeling of, of, of you know, I, I, I fear that masculine energy that comes in and tries to sort of overcome love that says that love is a bunch of shoulds and what you ought to do, and that's the loving thing to do is you do your duty. But really, I think when you talk about the feminine, you're talking about something much deeper and much more genuine and much, deeply, much more deeply connected that is an, an essential uh, knowing and understanding that not, your suffering is my suffering and your joy is my joy and your, where our connection is, is just so valid that we can't not have it. Yeah, I, I think that's so important. And I think that, that one of the things, as I go around the country and I go to so many synagogues and churches and different conventions and seminars and workshops and retreats, one of the things that troubles me is that people not only imagine that love is about shoulds, but they also think that love is always about sweetness and light. Mm-hmm. And that's not my experience either. I don't want to romanticize the Divine Mother and say that it's like my mother, who, who is always nice to me and always loves me and always accepts me. It, it's, not, it's not that kind of male fantasy about the, the all-loving uh, woman. That, that's not the experience. I, I feel that her love is oftentimes very searing, that, it's, that it burns away the nonsense that I cloak myself in, that she, uh, through, through nothing, through no other desire but to love, I think, that she burns away the stuff that, that keeps me from being a loving and beloved person. And that can be very painful. That can be very troubling. My, my earliest experiences, and it, it still happens, I, I wouldn't say it ends, but my earliest experiences of the Divine Mother was traumatic, or traumatic, as if, and one of the ways I describe it is, uh, the ground was pulled out from under me. Not just the rug where I'd fall on the ground, but the ground itself. And she tore away, and, I, and I'm anthropomorphizing this, and I just want the audience to know that it's just uh, figures of speech. I don't want to take this too literally. But it felt like uh, she literally pulled away every support that I had, theologically, intellectually, um, just gone. And, you know, I, I make my living, I make my life uh, from words, from ideas. And, and I believe deeply in the power of, of words and ideas. And all of a sudden, all the ideas were crumbling wasn't that I was questioning them. They just didn't work anymore. And I found myself in, you know, we might call it either spiritual free fall or maybe existential free fall. There was nothing to hold on to. Everything I grasped at turned to, to nothing in my hands. Nothing would stop the fall. And what I discovered was, I mean, first you panic. My God, what's going to happen? So, so I went with this to, to one of my friends, Andrew Harvey, who, um, if you haven't had him on the show, it would be great to get him on your show. He's a wonderful mystic and poet and author. And I went to Andrew, and I said, and I told him what was going on, and he is a devotee of the Divine Mother, and he was incredibly helpful. And he's the one who told me that this is the way she works, that it's not this loving here, I'm going to give you everything you need so you'll be happy and healthy for the rest of your life. It was just the opposite. Here, let me take away everything you think is going to make you happy and healthy and leave you in this absolute state of not knowing. And in conversations with him, I discovered that 
there's no bottom to the free fall that is the Divine Mother's grace. The, the problem with being in free fall is the fear that you can hit the ground and, and break. But you realize that she's infinite. There is no ground. And there's just this... Oh, I don't... I mean, other than free fall, I don't have a word at the moment. There's just this, this free fall. And when you realize that, that there is no landing, so there is nothing to fear, you learn how to, how to swim in that, in that sea of not knowing. It is a glorious feeling. Absolutely. Frightening if you, make your, if you make your living from having ideas that you can hang on to. But once you give that up, it's, it's personally liberating. Absolutely. Right, I'm sorry. I... Absolutely. And we're going to talk some more about that liberation after the break. This is Andrea Matthews, an Authentic Living. We'll be back in just a moment. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just... I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh, uh, uh, uh. There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T, with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my PhD in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. What can you tell me about Skills USA? Skills USA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is going to look awesome. Well, it's important to know your technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people. On the web at skillsusa.org. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. 
That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back with Authentic Living, sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology, and today we're talking to Rabbi Rami Shapiro about the Divine Feminine. Just before the break, uh, Rabbi, we were talking about the whole idea of this sort of ecstatic experience that comes from really kind of having lost everything and then having fallen into the free fall of uncertainty and just being willing to let yourself be with that unknown, with the uncertainty, what I call sort of leaning into the uncertainty instead of leaning away from it. So, so that whole aspect of allowing is in part how we connect with the divine energy. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that, that we really have two choices, I suppose. We resist or we allow. And eventually she'll, she'll burn away the resistance. So I don't know if allowing ultimately is a choice or the only option you have left. Right. But yeah, I love the, the notion of leaning in. Uh, you know, we, we want to live as if we knew what was going on. But we're really... But reality is beyond that. You know, I love the, the, the opening line of the book of Genesis where it tells us that when God began to create the world, the world was, uh, the Hebrew is tohu vavohu, unformed and void, wild and chaotic. In other creation stories, there's the dragon of chaos, and the God always kills the dragon, and out of the carcass of the dragon, the God creates an ordered world. But in the book of Genesis, it doesn't... Chaos is never killed. It's just that God speaks, you know, says, God, let there be light, and let there be this, and let there be that. And God creates this veneer of order, but never destroys the chaos. And I think that the chaos is the creativity. The chaos is uh, it's, it's also the terror. I mean, I, I don't want to romanticize it, but it, it breaks through all the time. And to the extent that we try to live as if everything were ordered, as if we knew what was going on, uh, I think it's the extent to which we live crazily. And then when things don't go the way we expect, we are totally thrown. Whereas I think a deeper way of living is to live with curiosity and compassion rather than uh, power and control and just to, to realize that you don't know what's coming next. And rather than to be afraid of what it might be, good or bad, because you never know, to simply be curious and to lean into it and deal with it yeah, without, like, that, without that resistance. Yeah, it's kind of a little bit like uh, when you're going to fly a kite, you want it to let it go, let it be up there in the air, and it sort of leans into the wind, and then the wind carries it. The wind carries it, sure. Right. It's like you, know, you fall into water and you panic and you start to splash around and you drown, but if you could relax, the water will hold you up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and that is so true. And as a therapist, I see people that are extremely anxious, and one of the things that I see as such a big trigger is what I call future tripping. You're, you're, you know, you're all about tomorrow, and you're what if, what if, what if, what if, and then and what I say is, well, what about this moment? What about this moment? And I watch people's shoulders visibly relax, and they take a deep breath, and they go, oh, yeah. <laughs> Right. So that what you're talking about is the kind of surrender that just kind of says, "Well, I don't know, so I can be okay not knowing." Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. 
And the, uh, the competitiveness of the masculine energy would say, well, no, I have to know. It's because if I don't know, then somebody's going to come and clobber me. Yeah, right. right. If I don't know, I can't win. Right, uh, right. But, and, I, and I think, given the current economic situation, and I think that's going to, I don't think that's going away anytime soon, and, and that always raises all kinds of negativity and fear within people, and that leads to terrible acts of violence and aggression and all, all kinds of very ugly stuff. In, in a world that, that's going to be caught in that, that part of the cycle for a while, I think that we really have to learn uh, to live with that curiosity and that compassion and the not knowing. Because if we don't, we're going to get so caught up in this violent attempt to control things that are not controllable. And, and we're just going to uh, magnify the damage. And there's always negativity. It's always part of this. You, know, you can't have one positive without the negative. But to, to try to fight what's going on, and I don't mean fix the economy, that's fine, but the emotions that are going to come up and the fear that comes up, recognizing that uh, you know, we're playing the what-if kind of game and, and moving into the present really does free up the heart. And we need to, to uh, cultivate compassion, and we need, we need methods for that. I mean, talking about it is... is, is and it's not even step one. It's not a step at all. It's just the preface to a practice. But we need practices that will open the heart, practices that will bring us into closer um, awareness or more, more accurate or, or whatever we'd say, more open to the presence of the divine, whether it's the divine mother, however else one experiences it. But we need to, to cultivate that experience of God's presence and the love that comes from that and the compassion that comes from that and, and then, and that really requires discipline, um, whether it's meditation or I mean, there's, there's so many things that people can do and draw from different traditions. But to me, what religion needs to help us do at the moment, and it's not doing it, is to help us cultivate compassion and just give up the dogma and give up the tribalism and give up the, the concerns with otherworldly salvation and all the rest of that, which I find totally not compelling. And focus on what does, what is compelling, and that's opening the heart, uh, loving your neighbor and yourself, and that requires real discipline. And uh, you know, I don't see that happening a lot. Yeah, I think where discipline, the word discipline comes in, we think of it in the masculine terms, and we should it. We we make it into a should, and we say, well, I should be more loving to my neighbor, so I'll go out and do nice things for my neighbor, but. But it's not necessarily authentic because it's not coming from something genuine within, which would be the more feminine approach: is to be go internal first and then take it outside. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Now, you know, if your choice is to uh, do something nice to your neighbor or to do nothing, I'll <laughs> I'll go with the do nice to your neighbor even without the internal depth to it. Right. But yeah, what I'm what I'm saying when I'm using the word dis- discipline. I mean, I, you know, we could try practice, you know, could think of other, of other terms. But, yeah, the turning within to open the self up uh, so that we can cultivate this compassion that's so desperately needed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you were talking about the economic crisis, um, you know, I want to come back to that for a minute because you, you spoke of, of the original state of the universe as we know it as a, a state of chaos. And I... I wonder if culturally, economically, 
in ev- monetarily, financially, in every way if we go through cycles of chaos so that we can create something different. Oh, that certainly is, is possible. I mean, I think, I think the guy's name is Schumpeter. I may not be pronouncing that right, but uh, creative the destruction was his, I think is what he called it, that cultures go through these cycles where we build up these facades of order and then they come and we get very addicted to them and they're fixed and they have to be knocked down so that, that the uh, inner creativity of, of the human can, can flourish. Mm-hmm. Success can be as much of a, um, an inhibitor to creativity as, as failure. Mm-hmm. And we think we made it. We're done. And so we, we try to we set up these fixed forms and then, and then you know, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. I mean, people have lost, I mean, we're talking in the abstract, but I mean, people have lost so much cash, you know, money, their, their pension, security, their, their sense of okayness into the future that it should, though I don't think it is, it should lead to deeper senses of community. Mm-hmm. But I, I think at the moment, anyway, it's just leading into a greater and greater sense of isolation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in that isolation, then, what could a per- if, we, if that's where we are, so let's say this is where we are, we're in a state of where lots of us are seeking isolation to deal with this crisis, what would be a feminine approach to prayer or a prayerful approach to the divine feminine in this place where we are today? Well, I, I, I will answer the question, but I, I just want to put a caveat in front of it. I, okay. I hesitate to say there's a, you know, one approach or even a half a dozen approaches because then there's always the seventh person that goes, oh, they don't work for me. Right. So I'll, I'll tell you the one that I find the most effective. But there are, I mean, my assumption is that there's an approach for every individual. And, and so, so let me say, say two things. One, to take a look at the, the, whole, the, the legend of the Holy Grail and the original telling of the Arthur story when the when King Arthur and his knights decide they're going to go on the quest for the Holy Grail, which is the quest for wholeness and healing and enlightenment, if you like, they decide that the best way to do this is for each of the knights to enter into the forest at the place uh, that is the darkest for them. So each, they, they don't go as a team. They don't go as a, as a uh, you know, cavalry unit riding into the forest. And they don't take the established roads. Each of them, they all go off on their own way, and each finds the place in the forest that is the darkest, and they go through that, that spot. So I, I'm going to come back to that. Let's, we, I know you have a break to take, so we'll, let's do that. Yeah, this is a good time for a break, and, and uh, we will come back to that dark place in the woods where they were alone on their journey. This is Authentic Living. I'm Andrea Matthews. We'll be back in just a moment. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T, with a soulful pathway to deep learning. 
In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my PhD in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. Over there, over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, <laughs> she makes perfect sense. How does it feel when you touch the sand? Is it warm? Uh-huh. It's hard to hold in your hand, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. They want to learn, so follow their lead. Take simple, everyday moments, like sorting laundry or playing on the beach, and turn them into learning moments. Is this water? No. Very good. This is sand. Oh, <laughs> no, no, it's not food. It's sand. We don't eat sand. <laughs> turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at PornLearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Hi again, and we've been talking to Rabbi Rami Shapiro, and he was telling us a story about um, the journey to the Holy Grail, and we left our men in the darkness by themselves in the woods. So <laughs> that's where we're going to leave them, too. Okay. <laughs> I mean, the idea, that, that's the only part of the story I want to go into. It's otherwise way too complicated. But the, the idea is when you do the spiritual practice, you're really entering into the dark part of your life. It's not about hiding in the light. I mean, I, I was, we mentioned briefly earlier uh, about this, this obsession with light and, and love. I mean, sometimes I go to these retreats and the, it's so sweet that it, it like would threaten the diabetic coma. <laughs> and that's really not what spirituality is about in my experience. It's about going into the dark place. It's, about, it's not about hiding out in the light. It's really about entering into the shadow side and, and allowing that to be the shadow, and, but to, to transform it, to, to get its energy aligned with, with the light. So you enter into this dark place. And I think there's a, as a society, maybe you might even say as a, you know, as a global culture, we're entering into this dark place. And each one of us is going to have to deal with our fears and, and our concerns about uh, surviving. And 
the practice that I would recommend for that, I mean, all of these, it's all about heart opening. But the one that, that I do, and I, I have a long practice, but is simply to uh, repeat a sacred name uh, of God or a sacred phrase from a, from a text that you find moving. Every religious tradition, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, they all have what we might now call a mantra practice, just a calling out of the name. In Hinduism, it's called Nama Japa, repeating the sacred name of God, you know, whether it's Krishna or Shiva or, or whatever it is. But every religious tradition has this. In Christianity, it could be Jesus, but you could also use the Jesus prayer uh, or the rosary, for that matter. I mean, there's, there's different texts that work. But when you find a name or a text that resonates with you, that seems compelling in whatever way you'd understand that, and to make that a regular part of your life, to, to repeat it over and over and over again, I do it in a formal way. I walk every morning, and as part of my walking, I chant a series of divine names, of all, all to the Divine Mother. I, use, I, use, I chant in Hebrew and in Arabic and in Greek. Those are the, the languages that, and the names that I find meaningful. So I will chant, and it's very short, but I chant it over and over and over and over and over again. And I chant the 13 attributes of the divine that you find in the Hebrew Bible, patience and love and, and different things. I chant these over and over again as I'm walking. And it creates a resonance that somehow opens the ego to the Shekhinah or the divine presence. And I think because it's universal and because you can't do it wrong, you can just not do it. I mean, once you find the name and you just start repeating it, there's not a right way or a wrong way of doing it. There's nothing uh, difficult about the practice. But even if you just took Jesus and you said, you know, Jesus, Jesus, or the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me. Um, however, however you did it, it's the repetition that simply allows the ego to surrender, or maybe the repetition surrenders the ego, and you just yield to the greater reality, which is the divine. It's so simple and yet so powerful and transformative that if I could only recommend one practice, that's the one practice I would recommend. I think that there are other things that people can do, and I don't want to say this is you should do this, but if you're looking for something to do, whether you're a Hindu or a Buddhist, a Christian, Jew, or Muslim, each of our traditions has this uh, practice in them. And it's, it's just it's radically changed my life, anyway. Mm-hmm. And I would think I'm not unique. Oh, absolutely. And, it, and, and the, the key there that I want to reiterate is the opening of the ego. It's, it, you, uh, your ego kind of opens up and allows itself to see the divine it's not, you know, one of the things that I think from a masculine perspective, we feel that when we say the names of God in whatever form, whatever names we use, what we're doing is calling God back to us because he's gone away and we're calling him, him, her back. And, and in fact, what, as you said, what we're doing is really opening our awareness to the fact that she's already there. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it, you can... It, you can make it analogous to, um, you know, striking a bell or, or uh, playing an instrument, you know, playing a chord on a, on a guitar. The chord is the vibration, you know. It's, it's not that you're calling the chord to you by, by 
strumming the guitar, you're manifesting that vibration and you're hearing it as, because of the way our ears and brains are made, you're hearing it as a chord. And I think when you say the name, it's the same thing. You're, you're, uh, the names are sacred, that there's something in the sound itself. And I say these out loud, so that's what I have in mind. But there's something in the sound itself, the sound of Om, the sound of Krishna, the sound of, of you know, whatever, your, your choice, Allah or Sophia, whatever the choice is, there's something in the sound that, that creates this uh, vibration that just makes us receptive to realizing that she's there, mm-hmm. that the divine is present. It's already there, but we were close to it. And do you go over that particular method in the practice book, Sacred Art of, of uh, Loving Kindness? Is that something that you were uh, one of the... Uh, no, I, it, I think it's mentioned in there. It's one of the 12 practices. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't... I teach it because I teach it face-to-face and I can you know, teach the tunes and we can practice and get oh, okay. the vocalization right. But um, it's not hard to go on the Internet and pick up, you know... Um, audio files that, that give you the way these names ought to be pronounced. Because I, I think the, the, the tune and the, the musical quality of it is, is an essential part of the practice. Um, it's, it's not magic. It's not, I'm not you know, saying a word and suddenly, you know, abracadabra, something happens. It's, you're really working with sound and frequency. And, and though it sounds very new age to me and I get very nervous saying it, mm-hmm. It, it, there's something to it, and uh, you know when you chant, you're, you're really that your whole body is is doing this vibration thing, and somehow it's just it's incredibly, um, you know, it opens the ego and it's and it's powerfully transformative, mm-hmm. because once you're open to the presence of the divine, you can't shut it out exactly. Right, right. Well. You can find out more about Rabbi Rami Shapiro's work by uh, reading The Divine Feminine and also The Sacred Art of, of Loving Kindness. And he has several other books that he's written. And I really want to encourage our listeners today to check out his books and, uh, and find out more about him. And Rabbi, we've been so blessed to have you here today. Thank you so much for coming to talk. Oh, with Andrew, us. thank you. It was really a pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. Okay, well, maybe we'll have you back again sometime. Love this to do it. Andrea Matthews with Authentic Living. We'll be back again next week. And remember, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.